Craig, this last week, uh, there was a, a ruling on DACA, and we'll get to what DACA is and what the ruling is in a minute. But I wanted to talk a little bit, Craig, about uh, your background in immigration. Can you tell us about your background in this field? Yes, Brian. Thank you. In 1984, I received the Jonathan Daniels Memorial Fellowship from the Episcopal Divinity School in Boston to help set up a program recruiting volunteer attorneys to represent refugees seeking asylum in the United States. Much of the violence in Central America was causing women and men and children to flee a number of the countries, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, and others, and seek protection under both international and domestic law. After a few months, I thought I would return to Chicago Theological Seminary to continue my graduate work at that school. Instead, I went to school part-time and became the first executive director of the Midwest Immigrant Rights Center, uh, working with volunteer lawyers, interpreters, therapists to establish the Midwest Immigrant Rights Center, which has since become the National Immigrant Justice Center. In 1990, I joined the faculty at DePaul Law School, directing a Center for Church-State Studies and also teaching immigration and refugee law. I became the ombudsperson at DePaul in 2001, but continued to teach asylum and refugee law, work with our faculty in our legal clinic on asylum and immigration law, and also serve on a number of boards of agencies that provide legal services to immigrants and refugees. I want to talk to you today about DACA, and DACA is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. That's what the acronym means. Can you explain what that program is? Because Congress has not enacted immigration reform for over two or three decades, we have a number of individuals in this country who are vulnerable to deportation that might have remedies that might take years to obtain through processing the courts. The Obama administration recognized it had an enforcement problem. There are up to 10 million individuals residing in the United States who are considered unauthorized, undocumented, had either arrived here with visas that expired or have been brought across the border by their parents at a very tender age. The enforcement mechanisms that existed, however, could only process several hundred thousand deportation cases a year. Good law enforcement necessitates that the officials prioritize which laws to enforce within their means. And the Obama administration decided to focus ICE activities toward those individuals who were undocumented who were a most danger to the public. Convicted criminals had served time in jail, others who were out, it discovered that we had probably over a million young children who had been brought here as infants or young age, who often didn't even know they were undocumented or unauthorized. Had I gone to our schools, were part of our communities, it decided to implement this deferred action. It told ICE not to enforce deportation rules against anyone who received DACA status. How did one get DACA status? If you had entered before the age of 16, 
if you continuously resided in the United States, if you were a student or had a high school graduation, if you had been a, a veteran who was honorably discharged, if you had not been convicted of a serious crime uh, and didn't threaten national security or public safety, you could apply. Over 700,000 people were granted DACA status. Once they received DACA status, they were also eligible for work authorization and some other benefits. But work authorization was important as these children were graduating from high school, they could get jobs, pay taxes, they could apply to colleges, they could apply to grad school, uh, they could get student loans. Uh, they would be treated uh, as residing here and continued to be productive members of our society. So it sounds like it's it's sort of a recurring authorization to be here over and over. As long as you keep within the parameters of this program, you would sort of have this permission to be here until you were finally granted citizenship. Is that what they're, is that the final goal? First of all, the hope is that Congress will pass immigration reform. And that's where this program gets confused. It is a temporary program. It's a, it's a discretionary tool of law enforcement saying, how do we prioritize the work we do? In the meantime, children who are basically innocent should not have to be looking over their shoulders that ICE will be coming into their homes or taking them out of their classrooms and subjecting them to deportation when ICE should be prioritizing resources for the most serious cases. ICE is the acronym for Immigration's Custom and Enforcement. And the renewal part is, well, we'll let you renew this until Congress passes reform that gives you the status. Part of the case involved reliance. You can imagine if you've been a community living in fear for a number of years, and then the, the Obama administration says, come forward, give us your name and address and your family members, and we will not deport you. And there was a concern. What happens when the program ends? Most people think these then children, now some are adults, talking eight years ago, uh, deserve a pathway to citizenship. And the idea is that any immigration reform would recognize that now they, some of them could be 30 years old and have been contributing, paying taxes, working, volunteering, raising families of their own. Uh, we just found out that over 27,000 of the DACA recipients have become doctors, nurses, medical technicians, and they are working on the front lines to save us from the COVID-19 virus. These individuals who our government wants to deport are risking their lives to protect the greater good. Let's talk a little bit about DePaul and and uh, when we talk about DePaul, we talk about Vincent DePaul, and we talk about people who follow Vincent DePaul, we call them Vincentians. Why is it that immigration is so important to Vincentians? St. Vincent and St. Louise recognize that human beings create boundaries that separate us. Orphans were abandoned in the streets of Paris. And St. Vincent Louise said, we, these orphans are us. They are human beings like everyone else and shouldn't be abandoned. And they found ways 
to protect and take care and to shelter and nurture those young orphans into young children. Both of them lived at a time of great uh, religious wars in Europe. France was devastated by wars as much of Europe. Refugees were fleeing battles everywhere. There were immigrants and refugees coming into the cities trying to escape. Neither Vincent nor Louise said, we can't take care of you, you're a refugee. We need to protect those who are living here. In, in fact, Vincent sent some of his priests out to those battlegrounds to aid and help those who were wounded and fleeing violence. It's our very essence as a community of incensions that the God-given dignity that was recognized by St. Vincent as part of being created in the image of God means we don't make artificial boundaries that separate us. Immigrants and refugees are only called that because nation states have put these artificial boundaries up. So it goes to the core of our very being of a community gathered for the purpose of the mission to welcome all and to aid and nurture all that we can to the best of our ability. More currently, what do you think that DACA means to DePaul students? No law in this country stands alone. No administrative proposal like DACA stands alone. What many people are not hearing in this DACA discussion is that many years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court decided a case called Plyler v. Doe, which recognized that our Constitution necessitates that public school districts educate every child in the district. Plyler uh, involved a case in Texas where the district had said undocumented students would not get public education. And Justice Brennan wrote a powerful decision saying, when we offer public education, it's for everyone. So think of the context of this. These children, many didn't even know they were undocumented until they graduated from high school and applied for college, and they couldn't document their status as U.S. citizens or lawful permanent residents. Or perhaps they went to get their first driver's license and found out that their birth certificate had another country and not the United States. Nonetheless, they've been living here Go, being part of our communities. They had played on our soccer teams or Little League Baseball. They had gone to our church schools and church camps. Uh, they thought themselves full members of our society, in part because of that Plyler case. When they couldn't apply for college, they couldn't get student loans because of their status, they hit a roadblock in life. DACA allowed these students to continue their education, to apply to DePaul, to become members of our classes, graduates of our classes. I suspect some of them were able to get work authorization and earned money to help their families to send siblings to DePaul. We forget that these aren't individuals in isolation. They're part of a bigger community and, and they become part of the DePaul community. Since the Trump administration took office, they tried to change immigration policy in the United States. And they tried to do this in many different ways, but they specifically went after DACA. What did they do to DACA? In 2017, then Attorney General William Sessions believed that DACA was an illegal act by the Obama administration because it implemented an executive policy that in his eyes 
created a status that the law did not permit. As I understand his reasoning, he saw this prosecutorial discretion to defer enforcement as a more permanent status instead of this temporary status. And therefore, he argued that the executive could not establish a permanent status for residents of the United States. He therefore asked DHS to rescind DACA. It's a very complicated history because the Obama administration also tried another program to help provide deferred action to parents of DACA students called DAPA. And some courts had found that was a step too far. Therefore, these cases were working their way up through litigation on DAPA and DACA. DACA was the one we was sustained by the courts, and that was what the Supreme Court saw last week. The question was, A, whether the Supreme Court could even review a decision of DHS, whether there certain laws, certain executive actions are not reviewable, and if it was reviewable, whether the Trump administration's process for rescinding DACA was lawful. The Supreme Court held in a decision written by Chief Justice John Roberts that yes, this action was reviewable and that DHS had not given a reasonable explanation for rescinded DACA and therefore was arbitrary and capricious and could not rescind DACA at this time. So for the people who are in the DACA program, is this a good or a bad thing? The good news, bad news. So the good news first. As of last week, they could breathe a little easier that the rescission was not in effect. Just imagine if the decision had gone the opposite way. Once their renewal period was up, they would then be deportable. So this gives folks a chance to breathe and and to uh, continue their, their work. The question remains, what will the Trump administration do? They can issue new executive orders rescinding DACA, theoretically following the instructions of the Supreme Court to do it right this time. I don't know what their decision, they may already have that executive order drafted and they will make a political decision whether it's to their benefit that their base wants DACA rescinded, uh, whether they want DACA rescinded, or whether public opinion wants these 700,000 people and their family members to remain active, engaged, productive members of our society. The not so good news is that we have to organize. We have to go back to Congress and say, stop fiddling around with immigration reform. At the very least, let's get something legislated that gives these DACA recipients a pathway to citizenship. They've already paid their taxes. They've already contributed. They are contributing to society. They are building our communities and making them stronger. Let's get it done. And that would be the dream decision if you were in the DACA program now is that immigration reform would finally pass. Correct. Now, one of the political questions is, could a piece of legislation that simply addresses the DACA students pass Congress? The troubling news is this administration thinks it likes to negotiate and 
what happened previously, you see issues like 700,000 DACA students for funding a wall, or what are the trade-offs? That's Washington, that's making legislation. This administration has built so much of its uh, previous campaign and appearances, its current campaign, uh, based on uh, anti-immigrant animus. As you mentioned in your introduction, this administration has taken steps to not just reduce immigration, but almost eliminate it. Uh, there are several executive orders pending. There are several policies pending and, and being implemented, some under the cover of the pandemic, that have basically suggested we could have no more refugees, uh, eviscerate the asylum procedures, but we're also seeing lawful immigration reduced. It's very stark. Uh, the vitality of our nation is long depended on the new blood, the new ideas, the new dreams of immigrants coming into our society. We are facing a very severe restriction on all aspects of immigration law. To put that in the mix, uh, DACA students, uh, to many, are relatively sympathetic. As I said earlier, many came in without knowledge they were breaking an immigration law. Remember, Brian, also that the law they broke <laughs> Is, is at most a misdemeanor, <laughs> sort of like a fishing without a license or something. That Congress has not made the initial entry uh, a major crime. So when you're looking at balancing the equities, especially for young people who came in before the age of 16, it's very difficult to not want to say these people belong here. They, they've, they, they've already paid a price of fear they're living under, the, the, their communities are under fear, their families. Uh, they wanna celebrate someone graduating as a valedictorian, and yet they know if, if DACA is not renewed, that that child could go back to a country where they don't know a language, they may have no family, um, they, they may have no sense of that because they've grown up in the United States. Craig, do you have any final thoughts on, on DACA and, and its situation currently? Sometimes we can get too tied up in the legal technicalities of a Supreme Court decision or of a court or what justice wrote, what opinion. For those of us in the Vincentian community, let me leave you with two thoughts. That DACA is both a, a moral issue as well as a legal issue, and it says something about our community. Many of the DACA recipients never knew they were out of status or somehow different from their classmates until they came to the point of applying this college or getting a driver's license. We have a moral obligation to work with our neighbors and to, to include them as they have benefited our nation, but also for their, as we would say in the Vincent tradition, their dignity, their status as human beings. And secondly, the Vincentia community is concerned about community. Uh, in a previous podcast, we had talked about it's more than dreamers. It's more than the DACA students. Almost all of these students have family members uh, with mixed immigration status. Some are citizens, some are lawful residents, some of their siblings may still be undocumented. They're part of a larger fabric that we're part of in a great city like Chicago. And when these students are threatened with deportation, we're all threatened. 
there are people in our parishes, in our community groups, in our sports teams. And we as Vincentians uh, need to think about that broader community issue and what hyper-enforcement by ICE does. And DACA brings that right to the heart of what we're about. And let's think about those moral and community issues when we engage in discussions about providing a pathway to citizenship for the DACA recipients. Craig, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on the subject with us. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening. This podcast is not intended as legal advice. If you'd like to learn more or check out the reference materials, please look at the show notes at blogs.depaul.edu slash DMM.